Thank you, worship team. Great reminder that Christ is Lord. It's the cornerstone. He's what it's all about. Amen. Man, you may be seated. It is great to be with you guys this morning. How's everybody doing? Amen. I want to just uh, echo Pastor Gary's uh, sentiments about last weekend. I, um, I, I really enjoyed just being, I was sort of stationed over there, and it was just amazing just to see um, everybody just sort of hanging out. I mean, we get to talk to you, you know, right out here after service, and you're off to lunch, and we're off to different things and, and things like that, but it just seemed like y'all were around for a long time last week. And uh, I, I loved it. I just loved it. I got to talk to so many families. Many of us did. And uh, it was just great to talk with you guys. Uh, met a couple of families that joined within the last year or two. Um, and then it was good just to see your, your kid. You know, you guys were not stressed out. I know for me, um, when, I, when I would be in like Toys R Us, you know, and you had to pay for something. My, my, my daughters were into the American Girl dolls. And I don't know if you remember how much those cost back you know, a few years back. Um, but it was like one of those things you're looking at the shelf and you're like, pick that one, pick that one. Um, but they love the American Duo dolls and that would be a, a, a moment where I wanted to get out of there. But you guys didn't want to get out of there. They was free and you got to hang out. So I love that. Thank you. Um, we are in the middle of uh, our series, um, Let's Go. And uh, we're going to continue. One of the things I love about um, the series or any series, is that you know where we're going. So when today's done, you can go home and you can read ahead. And I don't know about you, but I love that in series where I could be on the same page as, as those who are, who are preaching and have done a little bit of reading uh, or what have you. Um, so that's always exciting. So you can move ahead and look at, uh, you know, chapter 12, 13 on or what have you and, and uh, sort of prepare yourself. And, and that's always exciting. Amen. So let's, uh, let's dig in. We're in Mark 11 this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 27 through um, 33, I believe it is, yeah, through 33, and then we're going to be re- uh, looking at chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. It's a little bit of reading, but uh, stick with me, and um, we'll get some understanding. It says, they arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves, and they said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, he said. He put a wall around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants 
to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him. They beat him. And they sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send a son. He had one left to send a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. Father, we want to thank you, God, for all that you have done for us. We come here today to worship you, God. We've worshiped through serving today. We've worshiped through song today. We worshiped through giving today, and we will now worship through your word. And God, I thank you that you say that your word will never return to you void. And so, as I begin to share it, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would touch someone because why are we here unless lives are being changed, unless people are being saved, unless you are working in and through the lives of your people. So God, go before us as you've always done and do what only divinity can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. The highest court of appeals is the Supreme Court. All other courts lead up to the Supreme Court. If the lower courts decide to make a decision, and they make all types of decisions, it really doesn't matter what they decide if the Supreme Court decides to hear their case. All other courts, no matter how powerful, no matter how just, no matter how unjust, pale in significance to that of the Supreme Court once they have ruled. I don't know today who's made a decision for your life. I don't know what type of circumstances or what court has made a decision for the circumstances of your life. Maybe it's the court of your employment that says you can only get so far that you're just going to be in this position the whole time you're there. Maybe it's the court of your finances in which the, your finances in which it says that uh, you're only going to be able to get so far, that you can uh, only do so much. Or maybe it's the court uh, of your doctor that says uh, the ailments that you're experiencing, we're sorry, but there, there's just nothing much more that we can do. Or maybe it's the court of your upbringing, your background, that says, I, I can only go so far. 
mom only did this, dad only did this, grandpa and grandma only did so much. I don't know what court it is, but at least, at the very least, appeal it to the Supreme Court. At the very least, appeal it to God who has the final rendering on anything that goes on in your life. Right. At least do that. See, God sits on the throne, and he is powerful, and he has final authority over anything and everything in our lives. There's no question about it, amen? amen. But for these religious leaders, they had some things for them that got in the way. Some things that, oh, that light is bright. Can we take that down a little bit? <laughs> There's no question about it, but the, they had some things going on um, that got in the way of them recognizing who had jurisdiction in their lives um, and in their world. When we finish walking through this passage, um, I want to point out three to four simple lessons that we can walk away with as we read it. Now, as we read this story, the story does seem isolated in a little bit, right? It seems like maybe just the religious leaders had a bad day, right? You and I have had bad days. Some of you had a bad day this week, right? However, this story didn't just happen. It's the, the crockpot of these religious leaders' antics had been going on for some time and had been boiling over. These same leaders back in chapter three, if you recall, um, the man with the shriveled hand, and how they tested to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. Remember that? Uh, in those verses, he asked them, which is better to do, good or evil? What it, what's better to do, save life or to kill? Right? And the Bible reads that they were silent. And we're going to see a pattern of silence and indecision in our text this morning. Then again in chapter 7, we heard this preached uh, a few weeks ago. I believe it's the week before last. These same Pharisees were complaining to Jesus about how his disciples in, uh, would not wash their hands properly. Right? They weren't following that regiment. They weren't following the tradition um, of the elders, as it were. They, they had a lot to say about Jesus. They had a lot to say about his ministry. And they had so much to say about what he was doing and what he was not doing that they were questioning him. They were questioning his movements. And Jesus was patient with them. But they were too concerned about their reputation and the people to embrace the truth of his jurisdiction, his authority over all things. These men were from what they called uh, the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was made up of, of three different groups. I won't bore you with too much of, it, uh, of the history on it, but they're made up of three different groups that will help us to understand here. Chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders, right? And they were trained and they were ordained, uh, and their hypocrisy, their pride, and their arrogance from that uh, clouded their view of Jesus. They questioned his credentials, over and over again as they, as they rode on their own. Uh, this is another message, but as a side note, never let your education cloud your view of who you are. It ought to help you fulfill your calling and your interests, but it's not a tool to put yourself up, over and above any other person. It's another message. 
So the, these, uh, these religious leaders asked him a question. It's a bold question. It's, it's one of those questions that as a kid, you know, it's family Sunday, so I'll be careful not to, to start something, um, you know, in your household this afternoon. Uh, but it's one of those questions the kids ask, and you have to discern, um, are, you, are you able to answer it and, and how you are to answer it, and can they handle the way that you answer it, right? It's, it's like um, talking with my youngest one time, and uh, she asked about, uh, we were talking about things that are not good for the body, right? And she asked me if I ever smoke cigarettes. And uh, I, I remember hesitating because, you know, teenagers, they'll use that stuff against you. Right, um, and, and, and will they not? Yes. Right, but but honestly, it's something that uh, you know. Honesty is something that I really value. Um, so I answered her. Um, but you may be teaching your kids a number of things, and they may ask you questions about them, some of which you already know the answer. And like these religious leaders, you may be tempted uh, to to answer with indecision. I mean, we teach our kids all kinds of things, right? Whether it's, whether it, you know, it's to stay away from drugs or it's that lying is not good, uh, sharing is caring, or clean, clean up is a, is, a, is a group effort, right? You ever, as a parent, you ever feel like cleanup's not so much a group effort? There's some days where I'm tired of saying things that I just go and do it myself. It's probably not the best thing, but there's just some days where I'm, it's better for me just to to pick it up myself. But we, but we, used to, we used to sing a song with our kids when they were younger, uh, when it was time to clean up their rooms, right? It went something like this. Uh, you know, it goes, clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere, clean up, clean up, everybody do their share, and things like that, right? I, I would probably be a little bit not as um, more theatrical while I'm out there um, with them, but um, t- we made it fun, right? So it's just one of those things, you know, um, that you teach, you teach someone, and then they ask you a question about it, and then you have to be able to ask without indecision. You have to be able to uh, you know, share with them what it really is. So I know every kid under eight years old right now is rolling their eyes. They're like, Mom and Dad, you told us that Family Sunday was supposed to be fun, and we're talking about cleaning up, right? But, but, these, uh, but these leaders, they, they, asked, they asked Jesus a question. They said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you authority to do this? Uh, now these things, when he says authority to do these things, he's talking about three basic things. He's talking about one is the clearing of the temple. We heard about this recently. If you recall, the, the temple was being commercialized. Uh, people were becoming judgmental. The leaders were full of themselves. They were pretending and hiding under the guise of their, their positions. Um, and it's also referred to, secondly, as uh, Jesus' public entry into Jerusalem. You remember that when uh, they were putting the branches down um, in the path that he was going, they gave him a, a um, what is it, a donkey or a colt, it says in some translations. Um, and so they were, they were saying, you know, what authority do you have to come in on a donkey like that? And people are, are praising you, Hosanna in the highest, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so they're calling him on that. And then the third um, thing when they're talking about these things uh, just for context, is he, his teaching in the temple, right? So he was teaching things in the temple. So they are asked, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, the, the purpose of the question was to force Jesus to admit that he had no authority to teach and to act this way. 
as if that was going to happen. So the Sanhedrin, which is the religious leaders, claimed that it was the authority, they were the, the authority in religious matters, right? They're standing in front of Jesus and they're telling him they know best. You ever been tempted in a situation? You won't say it to God. But you ever been tempted to say that you think you know best? You can see that God is speaking through other people and he's telling you that you ought to do this but you think you know best, and so you're like, no, I think I'm gonna do that. So here's what you need to know. By asking these questions, they were looking for a way to discredit Jesus. Jesus had spent the better part of the last three years uh, demonstrating with signs and wonders uh, where his authority came from. But a religious establishment, they didn't really wanna know. The religious leaders, they really didn't wanna know. It's like us sometimes. You really don't want to know. Have you ever been in a situation where you're seeing something right in front of your face, but you really don't want to know the reality of that situation? You see it. You know it's true. But I just really don't want to know. I'd rather not know. Jesus then answers them, but not in the way that they expected. Read it with me. He says, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it of heaven or from men? In other words, was it from God or was it from human efforts? Was it from divine origin or was it from human origin? Now, this counter question, that was actually pretty um, standard for in, in, in the rabbinic discussions in their debates. But the way that Jesus sort of turned it on them and said, you know, Jesus' question is different, and he asked them that basically his answer was gonna depend on their answer, right? So they're stumped, and they're sitting there, you know, and, the, and, the, and really what we need to know is that the implication of the question is that John's ministry was divinely authorized. And if John's message had God's approval, then that, mean that, that meant that Jesus' message had God's approval and divine authority because of John's inspired um, prophecy. So they're stumped, they're worried, they're looking around. The, re the religious leaders hang, uh, huddle up. I can imagine that it's an anxious moment because you had all eyes on you and, and they're sitting there and he's asked them a question. And uh, you would think that if he asked them a question, one of them could just answer. Uh, but they had to huddle. They had to huddle up. Um, and the religious leaders immediately recognized um, their dilemma as everyone is looking at them and anticipating their answer. So in verses 27 through 31, they're stumped because they did not believe that John was a prophet from God. But they dared not to say it publicly because of the high esteem in which John was held. Isn't that an amazing th thing about truth? It really doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Truth is truth. You tell it whether it's going to help you, whether it's going to harm you, whether there's going to be circumstances for you. It's truth. If they answered from men, the implication was obvious. They would deny that Jesus was commissioned by God. And actually, they would have just, in that time, they would have discredited themselves before the people. See, John, John Mark explains in the last verse, and I won't get ahead of myself, but he explains in 1212, um, which we'll go to later, that they feared the people because everyone regarded John, as I said, as a prophet, as God's spokesman. 
They feared the people. How many of you are in positions or circumstances in your life where you have to make decisions and you fear what the people have to say? It's really about what God has to say. Because God's got your back no matter what. So if he told you this is the truth and this is what you ought to say and this is what you ought to do, then guess what? That's what you ought to say and that's what you ought to do. Now, when I say it, it seems real easy, right? It's, it's not always that easy. So they could not admit that John's baptism was from heaven because Jesus would correct them for not repenting and being baptized as a sign of uh, repentance. The only way out, even though it was not a good way out, was to confess their inability to decide. What they didn't realize is that that inability actually disqualified them from being religious authorities in that day. However, by suspending judgment, these religious leaders show that they really rejected John and Jesus' message of the gospel. Throughout their history, uh, most leaders of Israel repeatedly rejected God's messengers. You know that as we read through the Old Testament, as we read through uh, the New, we can see that pattern. And this is a point that Jesus is making in the parable that comes right after. So they had a choice. How are you at making a decision? When it comes to your choice, either you can, he can either, they could have either um, chosen obedience to the Lordship of Christ, or they can be in a position of unpopularity with the majority of the people. How many of you would say obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Right. How many of you would say the unpopularity with the majority of the people? <laughs> Easy to say, harder to do. They say to Jesus, we don't know. What I love is another translation says, we can't tell. <laughs> yeah, of course, you, you are supposed to be the experts on the law, the experts on authority, the experts, and yet they say that we can't tell. We don't know. They're not acting in good faith. They're not being honest. Jesus knew that they knew the answer already. And Jesus is saying, you have to come here. You've come here to investigate me. You've come here to investigate my miracles, put me on the spot so that I can, I have to explain my preaching So he answers, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. If you're going to give me an answer like we don't know, neither will I tell you. These men who are under, these men who are in authority, but they're having trouble coming under authority of another. And they're struggling with the correction, they're struggling with the challenge, they're struggling with the patience and the words that Jesus is having for them. Jesus could have pointed back to a number of Old Testament scriptures to sort of back up what he was saying, right? He could have have went to Isaiah. Isaiah explains it all in his prophecy, but he recognized their disobedient state. So instead, he tells them a parable. You know what that means when he starts telling parables. 
Jesus always told parables to help people understand. But it was not like God was hiding the truth from them. It's just that they didn't want to hear. Right? They just didn't want to hear. They did not want to know what the truth was. Their hearts had become so calloused, and they've closed their eyes. John is pointing us back. Isaiah says, uh, in Isaiah, he says that they've closed their eyes. That's us, those situations that we come up to and, and we just really don't want to deal with. And, and you just sort of close your eyes and, and I just, I don't want to deal with it. I know the truth. I know what needs to be done, but you don't want to deal with it. So let's look at the, the parable in 12, uh, 1, through 12, uh, 1 through 12. Now, before we go into the parable, because parables are always, right, they're, they're challenging to understand. So one of the things I want to do is I just want to point out four, four different things about the parable that will help you. And if you have a pen or a pencil, you can jot them down so it will help you as you go through, as we go through the parable. There are four groups represented in this parable in uh, verses 1 through 12. We're going to read it again because I want you to look at it with new information. All right, so the, the vineyard, keep in mind the vineyard is Israel. All right? In the story, the vineyard is Israel. The owner is God. The tenants are the religious leaders, right? And then the servants are the the prophets or, you know, the servants that, that, that God sent, right? We got that? Vineyard, Israel, owner, God, tenants, religious leaders, servants, the prophets of Israel, So Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. I'm reading out of verse 1 through 12. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Remember, the farmers are the tenants. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect for them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck, his, struck the man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent yet another, remember this is God sending, and then that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had left, just one left to send. Who do you think that was? His son, whom he loved. He sent, the, the, he sent him la, last of all saying, they, they'll respect my son. Of course they'll respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Let's, let's get the inheritance from him. So they took him and killed him and threw him out in the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then, verse 12, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken it against them. And again, they were afraid of the crowd, so they left and went away. So it was was commonplace, if you think about, well, why would he buy something, put someone in charge of it, and sort of take off? So it was was commonplace in the first century for wealthy investors to buy property for you know, for a farm or a vineyard, and then, and then leave it in care of the tenants, right? Come harvest, they would send somebody to get a, you know, a portion of the proceeds. That person would bring it back. Basic things, just, just like it was done here. Now, if a landowner didn't have, their, have an heir in the first century, that land became the property of the tenants, 
So you see what's going on here. They, they're, they're like, they've, been, they've already beat up everybody. They've already, you know, killed a, a bunch of people. And so now he's sending his son and they're like, oh, this is, this is great. This is what we've been waiting for. If we kill him, guess what? The law says this is all ours. So they thought he, would, he thought that they would respect his son, but they didn't. So I just want us to look, let's look at one example. Um, I want to look at the centurion. Uh, let's just look at one example of what it looks like, the opposite of this, what it looks like um, for someone in authority to act and respond, how, how it should look. It's in Luke chapter 7. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase just for the sake of time, uh, but you can turn there and, and scan through it with me. Um, so Luke chapter 7, uh, the centurion, uh, the, what you know about the centurion, is he had about 100 men over him. He's similar to like a captain in the armed forces. He had a servant that was paralyzed and in pain, so he tells Jesus about it. Jesus says he'll go there and heal him, so he tells, he, so tells, he tells Jesus about it. Jesus says he'll go there and heal him, but the centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to come under your roof. You see the difference in the response here? I'm not worried to come under your roof, but listen to this. He says, but just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For, for I uh, myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one to go and he goes. I tell one to come and, uh, or tell one to come and he comes. See, the, the centurion and the religious leaders were both highly respected leaders but with authority. But one of them knew how to come under authority of the final authority. This is the lesson for us to learn. You cannot exercise authority over others in your life unless you're willing to come under the authority of someone else, right? If I can't come under the authority of those who have earthly rule over me, then how is God ever going to allow me to be under, over author, uh, in authority over others? He's not going to allow it. It won't be effective anyways, the same goes for you. If God's put you in a position of authority and you feel frustrated and nothing's going right, make sure you ask yourself the question, am I coming under authority of those who are over authority of me? Right. One of the reasons we often don't get this is because we confuse sometimes power and authority. They're, they're very closely knitted. Uh, they overlap a lot. But let's just take Satan for an example. Uh, one scholar said it this way. He said, Satan still has power. He still dominates the world in which we live. His attacks are both real and destructive. But what he doesn't have is final authority. Amen. Only Jesus has final authority. Jesus is exalted far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. But let's not take the scholar's word for it. Let's read it. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 21 Ephesians chapter 1 verses 21 it says this it says which he exerted in Christ which he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion every and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the age to come so they're saying back here in the new testament not only in the present age but in the age to come what does that mean that means not only back then but even now 
for you and for I. In the parable, he then sends his son. Remember, the landowner is God. So when he says he sent his son, you know, he's, God is talking about sending Jesus. So he sends his son who he loves, whom he is well pleased. He sends Jesus. And that he's saying again and again, maybe, just maybe, they will listen to him. Surely they'll respect my son. But they wanted to kill him. They wanted the inheritance. They rejected the cornerstone, the final authority, the one who spoke the parable against him. They wanted to arrest him, but again, they were afraid of the crowd. As we wrap up, I want to give you, like I said at the beginning, three to four quick lessons that we can learn from our text today. And they're simple. They will be on the screen, or you can jot them down if you like. But I just want to remind us, first one is to never be too proud to be corrected. Never be too proud to be corrected. See, we don't like for people to tell us what to do. It's okay. You can say amen. You don't like it. It's all right. God knows already. So we don't like when people challenge what he thinks, what, what he, you know, what we think is right. However, God uses others, sometimes even our enemies, to show us when we're wrong. Now, of course, it has to be done in love, right? Don't, any, don't let anybody come at you sideways, you know, in some disrespectful way or what have you. Um, but it needs to be done in love. But never be too proud to be corrected. Number two, allow God to challenge you through other people. I, I love being challenged. It's hard sometimes, but I love being challenged because I know that there, there's, my world is so much bigger than me. And we don't like for people to tell us what to do, obviously, but we don't like it when people challenge us sometimes too, when we, especially when we think we're right. However, God uses others, sometimes, you know, all kinds of different people um, to challenge us. And when he challenges us, the good thing about that is that we can, we can look at things and say, oh, okay, I can see that from another perspective. And many times when someone challenges you, you know they're, trying, they're doing it because they care for you and they love you. So allow God to challenge you through other people. So never be too proud to be corrected. Allow God to challenge you through other people. Be careful not to take uh, advantage of God's patience. Remember, this is not an isolated story. It goes back, right? And this has been happening over and over again with the religious leaders, and God has just been so patient with them. These religious leaders were constantly trying to find ways to bring Jesus down. He was patient with them. He kept trying to teach them, correct them, show his love for them. Um, but as we saw in verses 9 and 10, it says, what will the owner of the vineyards do? What will God do? He'll come, and it says he'll, he'll kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, I don't think necessarily in that case that God literally will kill them, but he will give the vineyards to others. He, he will do away. He, he, he's done at that point, right? God does allow us at some point to suffer circumstances if we just don't keep not getting it. So God is very patient, but at some point, he, I believe he takes righteous action. And then last, work to sync your words with your heart. Work to sink, sink your words with your heart. The things that come out of your mouth ought to be what's in here. 
in our, in our minds and our hearts. There's nothing wrong with saying the right things, but when you're saying, what, but what you're, when, you know, when you're saying something, if it's not in sync with what's in your heart, it sets you up for falsehood. Which, if you think about Ephesians 4.25, it tells us that we ought to what? Put off falsehood, right? Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 37 says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Anything else is from the evil one, it says. So work to sink your words in your heart. Never be too proud to be corrected. Allow God to challenge you through other people. Be careful not to take advantage of God's patience and work to sink your words with your heart. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you need me to pray for you, I'm gonna pray over everybody, but if you need me to pray for you today with your, every eye closed, every head bowed, just raise your hand if, if, if something in this message has challenged you or has come to mind that you, I see your hands, that you wanna deal with God with. Amen, amen. Father, we are so thankful for the word of God. God, as we come here today, Lord, we, we, we got to see good and not so good examples, Lord, of those who recognized your final authority in your life, Lord. Lord, much like the Supreme Court, Lord, you are the final authority. Once you rule and once you say something, nothing else matters. Everything else pales in significance to it. Lord, I pray first, Lord, for those who have raised their hand today. Lord, that you would help them in this time, that you would help them to understand, Lord, whatever it is that they need to understand, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would give them understanding of the word in the next hours and days to come. I pray, Father, that you would help them to take a step to correct it, to bring it before you because you know you are the final authority, God. We know, Lord, that all of us, Lord, as we listen to this message today and we read through that passage, that if we bring whatever it is we need to bring to you, if we bring pride, Lord, if we bring our inability to come under authority, Lord, if we bring our, our uh, tendency, Lord, to not recognize that what you say is final, if we bring it towards you, you will help us. You will do all that we can ask or imagine in and through our lives, Lord. So I pray, Father, for that individual. I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, who um, raised our hands, Lord. I pray, Father, for our body, God, um, that as we walk out life, Lord, that we understand that you didn't just put these things here, Lord, so that we can learn about how they did it in Bible days. 
but was true then is true now, Lord. As the song says, Lord, you are answering, you answered prayers then and you're answering prayers now. You're healing hearts then and you're healing hearts now. And we're so thankful for it, Lord. God, we bless you. We praise you as the cornerstone of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So today is Communion Sunday. Um, And so most of you hopefully have your elements. Um, If you don't, just let one of the ushers know by slipping your hand up really high, uh, and they will bring it to you. As we go about our communion today, communion is a time for us of time of remembrance. And so as we do it, communion, I want you to know, is for those of us who have given our life to Christ and count him as Lord and Savior. If you're sitting here today and you haven't given your life to Christ and he is not, you have not accepted him as Lord and Savior, feel free to observe. And also if you want to give your life to Christ and you want to know more about it, we're here for you. We're here to pray with you. You can grab anyone you see standing, at, standing around serving in the building and we'll be more than happy to pray with you and, that, and get you on with your new walk in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna give us a few moments to reflect, to remember. Just close your eyes. And whatever you need to do, if it's unconfessed sin that you need to confess before you take the elements, do that. Something you want to give to God, you want to release, we'll give ourselves a few seconds to get ready. Would you stand with me? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup in my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That we get to partake in this one more time. Maybe our last time. You never know. Hallelujah. to him who is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you before his presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be majesty, dominion, power, and authority, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.